1: Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. Now, if you're a regular listener, you'll know that on Tuesday's podcast, Jack Howard and I started our rundown of our top five underrated films list. The conversation went on for longer than usual, so we decided to split the podcast into two. So on Tuesday's podcast, we did numbers five to three. And in this podcast, we both pick up with our top two underrated movies. So sit back and enjoy Jack Howard and I discussing our favourite underrated films.
2: Right, my next choice is... (laughs) Which one should I do first? I'm going to do this one first. I'm going to say The Mask of Zorro.
1: Wow, okay, go ahead.
2: The The Mask of Zorro is a film that's been with me for as long as I can remember. Um, And I think it's one of those action movies that kind of... I don't know, change things without... Sort of quietly change things without people even noticing.
1: What year is it, Jack? What year did it come out?
2: I think it was 1997, but I'm okay. going to check that.
1: So how old would you have been when you saw it? Like three?
2: 1998, damn it. Okay. I would have been six when six. this came out. Okay. But I never saw it in the cinema. I My dad got it for me on, on video. Because when I was a little boy, I was obsessed with James Bond.
1: Yes, you've, you've, to told, us ridiculous it. you've told us about extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: Extent. Uh, and so my dad was starting to sort of like filter my movie taste with other things in a similar genre. So okay. he showed me Terminator Two, yeah. Mask of Zorro, etc., etc. Coincidentally, The Mask of Zorro is directed by Martin Campbell, who directed GoldenEye and Casino Royale, yeah. two of the best yeah, yeah. Bond films ever. And I remember from the opening of the movie, I was like, "I'm going to love this" because the opening <laughs> is essentially a James Bond film. He walks out not unlike the gun barrel and does the big zoro yeah, yeah. Z, yeah like the like james bond shooting at the camera um and there's just just from the opening there's just this great sense of adventure and excitement and old-fashioned i don't know like this you don't see stuff like this anymore like real stunts and sword work and all the rest <laughs> of it but also like i don't like a hero on the right side right okay so here's here's what i'm going to say about this okay. It's a it's a soft reboot before they were a thing. Yeah, okay. It is It works as a continuation of Zorro and reinvents what Zorro, Zorro is in the way that Star Wars has tried to do. Because Zorro has always been, obviously, the Bruce Wayne type. It obviously was Bruce Wayne before Bruce Wayne, the, yeah. the rich guy yeah. who wants to help the poor. And this reimagined version of Zorro is passing the torch on to somebody who is a man of the people. He isn't above them and coming down to help. He is an actual he was an orphan and a criminal and somebody who existed amongst the other people and then decided and 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 he is the new zorro yeah. and he he gets to take up that mantle now so just even as a as a, a retelling of zorro that is just incredibly progressive before anybody else was doing it yeah but the the movie has got so much It's got such a voice. It's unlike anything else that I've seen. It it feels like it fits alongside other swashbuckling films, but actually it's nothing like them. It's really funny. It's really romantic. It's a very sexy film. I don't know if you remember how, like, Antonio Banderas and Catherine Zeta-Jones, the heat between them, the dance scene that they have, the scene where they essentially have a sex scene, but it's, it's a sword fight and they're just undressing each other. And it's just... Very awakening for 12-year-old me, but <laughs> <laughs> but also just like, there's a passion to it and a, and, a, and a a heat to it that just doesn't exist in movies that were made, because it's a family movie, Yeah. but like, you don't get that sort of stuff these days. Everything's very, I don't know, like, I know sexuality and all that sort of stuff is kind of removed from, especially like the big movies that come out now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the central performances in it are amazing. Yeah, you have to overlook the fact that it's about Mexican people and there are no Mexican people in it. <laughs> but it's a different time. You know, 1998, they didn't do that. <laughs> but it's a really fun movie and doesn't get talked about enough. Um, I, think it's, I think it's just super fun.
1: I think the remarkable thing is, I mean, I saw it when it came out. I was the film critic at Radio 1 at the time. And I have very little memory of it. I this remember. Is what I'm saying. I remember it being fine. I don't remember. I don't remember thinking this is great. I remember thinking it was okay. I was actually just looking online to see whether there's anything about my, you know, whether I managed to review it anywhere. And I I did a review for uh, for Radio One. I think I was broadly positive, but but nothing other than oh, here's a movie. It's fine. And hearing yeah, you and t- I
2: think it's probably. And, but hearing you the
1: t- of time. Hearing way. you talk about it makes me want to go back and revisit it now because. It sounds like a much like a much more memorable. I mean, funnily enough, when we were doing secrets of cinema about spy movies, about superhero movies, pardon me, and that thing about Zorro and you know Batman and Bruce Wayne was something that we talked about. But because of the old incarnations of Zorro, I haven't I haven't watched that version of Zorro since since it came out in the nineteen in nineteen ninety eight when I was at Radio One. So at Radio One, I so my voice went off on it. when I was at Radio One, and so. I should go back and look at it again, particularly as well. You know, I mean, it sounds to me like you had a reaction to it, similar to the reaction that I had when I was six years old going to see Krakatoa, east of Java, when I just couldn't—I sure. just literally couldn't believe what was going on on screen. There was stuff, and there was singing, and it was there was volcanoes, and there was balloons, and there was it was sexy, but I didn't know why because I was six, mm. you know, and. Uh, it's just th-
2: it's-, it's got it's, it's got a real Spielberginess to it as okay. well, like The Mask of Zorro. Um, there's a bit at the beginning in the opening scene, which was Spielberg's idea, where three innocent men are about to be killed, and then Zorro whips the last gun and then pulls them all to fire somebody else. Right. It's just like such a Spielberg moment, and there's so many like fun, playful bits of cinema. Something that we don't bring up enough on this, we kind of forget because yeah. we get pulled in by the visuals and all the rest of it. Yeah. But the music in The Mask of Zorro is by James Horner and it is incredible it is it's so big and it's just the, the way that the guitar twangs whenever there's a zorro moment in yeah. it and there's there's like a few what the one that sticks out is when antonio banderas is getting the proper mask for the first time right and how it holds off like it really it's almost the way that, the way that spielberg teases the dinosaurs in jurassic park like he makes you wait <laughs> and wait for the satisfaction of seeing them for the first time <laughs> He makes you wait to see Zorro for the first, like you get Zorro at the very start and then you don't get him again until like an hour later or something like that. And then the moment when Antonio Banderas um, sees Anthony Hopkins drop the mask and the music goes, like, it's just like, it gives me goosebumps just to even like, oh, it's happening. We're going to get Zorro. And it, um, it does all that wise old, uh, you know Jedi stuff that the Last Jedi does yeah. before the Last Jedi, and you know it's, it's all this like old samurai type thing. It's just, it's just a
1: friggin fun time. Okay, I'm going to go back and see it. And incidentally, I do a, a, um, a film music show on Scala Radio, and I'm going to play some of that score because now that you've mentioned that, I'm going to play some of that score because I had actually, nice. again, I haven't thought about it since, since 20 years. so Okay, very good choice, very good choice.
2: Slow attack slow
0: attack slow again slow first triangle slow like good good that is good thank you attack good time for a drink
1: So now my next choice, and I don't know whether you've seen this or not, is uh, the Hughes Brothers' Dead Presidents, which for me... I
2: I watched it last night.
1: Oh, okay. So can I begin by saying to you, you tell me what you thought, because I have been flying the flag for Dead Presidents since it came out. And I just I think it's such a great film. And the soundtrack is... Tell me what you think.
2: Uh, it really struck a chord with me. I, I Like, it was really emotional. And Good. it feels like a combination of Full Metal Jacket and Goodfellas. Like, it's it's it, not unlike Don John, shifts genres. Like, it starts out as, like, a drama romance and becomes a full-on war film, yeah. and it's not shying away. The it's Vietnam sequence, war. which is
1: short but horrific.
2: Oh, oof, just overwhelming, like just i can't remember what the actor's name is but the guy who chops off somebody's head yeah yeah, yeah. like good god like terrifying and then going back to like it really lets you stay in those moments and so then when it transitions into the next genre and into the next portion of that person's life you do as the audience question how do we go from one thing to the other how how is that possible and you question that for the for the character as well. I thought it was really effective. I thought it was a bit dated. It was oh, very nineties. Okay. okay, okay. Very nineties in the way that it was told. It was very like I don't know how else to describe it other than it was very movie about it. Like some of the moments are very like they're movie scenes. They're not trying to create a moment, but they're they're they like good movie. The transition as well from him running through see gardens into the yeah. war is just
1: so we perfect. We, so when we did so, so here is what I think about it. Um. Uh, I think you, you're absolutely right about the, the fact that it that it shifts genres, and um, it's basically it's a it's a coming of age movie that turns into a Vietnam War movie that then turns into a kind of a Goodfellas style crime heist movie. And in fact, we used it in the Secret of Cinema program, which was about heist movies, which they've recently repeated on BBC Four. They're, they're playing all the old ones again because we just did a new series, and they're playing all the old ones, which is great having them back on the thing. And because it begins and ends with a heist. And we begin in the truck where the heist is about to happen and then we flash back and we see all the events that got us to this place. And then it becomes this coming-of-age story with Lawrence Tate's central character. Like you say, a romance and uh, brilliant evocation of the time. And then he goes to see his girlfriend and then he runs through the back gardens because you know, he's been chased out of the house. And we cut from him running through the back gardens, bang, to him running in Vietnam. In trees. And I think that that cut is just that was the moment at which I thought, okay, the Hughes brothers, because I'd seen, um, menace to society before, which of course had been a big fuss. People won't remember this now, but there was a big fuss about Menace Society being released on video because there was a whole thing about, oh, it's going to inspire crime and it shows you how to break into a car. And, and you know, and it, it got a very it got a kind of quite an edgy reputation. But Dead Presidents, the scope of it, you know, the kind of the storytelling scope of it, which is I think when you what you mean when you say Goodfellas, because Scorsese was a big influence for the Hughes brothers. And... Um, and then it comes back, and then it comes back to this heist. It's a, and it is about the heist that then, you know, everything that goes wrong with it. And I thought, firstly, the, I thought just as a piece, a confident piece of broad canvas filmmaking, it was wonderful. I thought the way in which they understood the soundtrack was very Scorsese, that the placement of all those songs was perfectly done. But the best And thing, Danny Elfman's score as well. Yeah, but the best thing about it is that it's it's that demonstration that that you that when movies work they put you inside the mind of a character with whom you have very little in common and you basically invest in that character and you become that character and i just think that you follow that central character's uh, Arc all the way through that movie, and when you get to the end, the courtroom scene at the end, when Martin Sheen suddenly turns up as this kind of yeah, I was like,
2: what? (laughs) I know,
1: I know, but that's great because it it just tells you once again that Martin Sheen is the kind of person who would go. This is a good film. I am going to lend my cameo to it because it deserves me because they are really good filmmakers. And I interviewed them. They went on to make other stuff, you know, both together and separately. And I interviewed them for radio again when I was at Radio One and um and i remember everyone was talking about spike lee who's you know spike lee's a great filmmaker but no one was talking about the hughes brothers and i did think about the hughes brothers in the same way that i you know i thought about the wachowskis when i first saw their stuff is wow this is or the cohen's you know this is this is a singular voice coming from two filmmakers who are just telling one story so, so powerfully and um I th- I, it is unlike
2: anything else I've ever. seen I, I, I can't say I've seen a film quite like it. Oh,
1: um, it, it I just think it's it's it, you know it, people were talking then a lot about you know new black cinema, and I was thinking this is it. This this you know that and again unfortunately it, it it hasn't had the recognition that it deserves because it is tough. I mean the Vietnam sequence is really brief. Incidentally, Michael Cimino fans, if you want to do a tough Vietnam sequence. Dead presidents, and that Vietnam sequence is like 20 minutes long. Tops, it's not like the Deer Hunter, which goes on for five days and has got the Russian roulette sequence in it. And then Chimino going, Oh, yeah, it's based on my own experiences. Yeah, <laughs> anyway,
2: it's uh, it's Bokeem Woodbine. Uh, Bokeem
1: Woodbine's the guy, yeah, does the thing, and ta- he's the guy
2: who who chops the yeah, head yeah, off yeah, and, yeah. and then Rocky puts chop. it in and
1: carries it in his bag. And then Larry Tate yeah. is the central character who's, I mean, I. I, I
2: I just he he as well his character I thought was fascinating that when he like his transition back to life after war like all of that is is fascinating and and has been explored in other films as well and I never don't find that harrowing and interesting mm. to see that Chris Tucker's character turned very hard to drugs. And incidentally,
1: isn't that the best Chris Tucker performance you've ever seen? Because Chris Tucker can be really annoying.
2: <laughs> I'm quite a
1: fan of Chris Tucker, but he can be funny. really annoying. He but he's annoying. great he, yeah. in Dead President. He's
2: really really good in this and his transition and then uh Burkeen Woodbine's like almost I almost again it's it's like the stuff that you don't see like you cut to him after war and he hasn't been on screen since you saw him with a person's mm, head in, in his, his backpack. Bag, yeah. And now he's a preacher and he's fully like, you know, given his life to God. Yeah. And it feels to me like he went I will repent for all this and I'll be okay. It didn't feel like he had any other option, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and and, yeah. and it feel like he felt like he was a completely different person. Yeah. And I found that transition interesting, and and the fact that his, you know, the main character's um, girlfriend was this almost archetypal virgin when he left, and when he comes back, she has she's implied to be a prostitute, and it's like that. How much stuff can change, and he, the expectations on him as as a man to to yeah, all the constant like going to get a real job, and 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 she even says I think directly to him like bring in some money and get a real job like a real man or yeah, something yeah. like that.
1: Yeah, it's just and there's the whole thing about yeah who's been looking after while he's been and all that. Yeah, I mean it's, yeah yeah it is it, it is that coming of age rites of passage death of innocence, but brilliantly it's sad done.
2: like what you were saying really about sad. that that courtroom scene. The last thing that happens, like, throwing the chair at the judge yeah. and saying, after everything I did for this con- country, this is what I'm getting. Yep. And then he gets taken away and it fades to black and that's it.
1: And can I and just say that that, that's, such a that scene is so perfect? We used that to end the Secrets of Cinema programme about heist movies. The Secrets mm-hmm. of Cinema actually ends with that thing because I think it's one of the best endings ever. You know, I just think it's it g- just... I mean,
2: it gives you a real sense of, like, like, like oh, that's yeah. leaving me with a
1: feeling. Exactly. Don't, don't even answer this shit. <laughs>
0: No, you're right, I ain't gonna answer it. I mean, shit, you, Anthony, you the big marine man with no damn job. You know every fucking thing. But answer this for me. If you, if you think I'm jiving you so much, Anthony, why the hell you with me, huh? Why the fuck you with me? But you think I need you? You think I need this shit? Fuck, you can't get a decent job. You won't fuck me. The only time I get to hold you is when you're having one of them silly-ass nightclubs. Shut nightclub. the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. You don't know, girl. You really don't know. Don't you fucking walk hey, you away from me. get the fuck off of me. Don't walk away from me, Anthony. Let me go. What about that? i you, girl. Don't you ever run up on me ever. Ever run up on me again. I'll fucking kill you one here. Fuck off me. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring.
1: Your last choice, Jack. Come on, impress me. My
2: last choice. And I have saved this for number one. Okay. Um Because it's... I think it's a massively underrated film. I never hear anybody talk about this. Go ahead. It's Boy A. Yeah. Which is uh, an Andrew Garfield starring performance. Before he was the Andrew Garfield we know now. Um, it's a British film. Um, and again, it was interesting to... I saw this film at a, a, a young, a younger age. Not, I wasn't young, um, but I was certainly like a, a, a formative years yeah. when I was developing my taste in cinema. And it is very sad. And exploring what it's about was interesting to me to discover what it was. I don't know if I should. Um, I kind of want to say.
1: Well, I think uh, yeah, I think you have to it. say a little bit about. I mean, I mean, the, the, yeah. the title tells so, us something that we that we. Yeah. Yes. So
2: he, there, there is a. Um, a, a, a case of two boys who committed a crime of sorts. And this is about the the, the boy who has now grown up, his going back into society after what he did when he was a kid. And boy A and refers is... to the
1: way in which they were referred to during the court case in order to preserve yeah. their anonymity. And that ob- and so he's
2: struggling now to sort of go back into normal life. And to keep that an anim- anonymity, and yeah, it's just, it's hard, it's a hard watch, but it's also a really beautiful film. Um, it's shot by Rob Hardy, who shot Ex Machina and Mission Impossible Fallout. Right. Like, this was one of his earlier films, and, and you can tell it's the same. It's, it's shot, some of the shots are like burned into my brain. It's so beautifully photographed. Um, and Andrew Garfield's central performance in it is really great. Um, it's also got, um, Peter Mullen in it, who is, I find always a charming uh, British presence. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what else I can say about it because it, it, it just feels yeah. like it's one that you should discover as you're watching it because it's, it's definitely pulling on the strings of real life cases like this that have happened. Um, and a, a, such a, a, a taboo subject yeah, yeah. and an interesting subject to, to, to explore in terms of like a character and, and what that would do to a person. Um, yeah and again quite a sad one
1: my memory of this is I didn't see it in the cinema I saw it on television and I, I think for, I had always assumed for some reason that it was actually made by or for television I mean it, is, it does come up as a film but I definitely saw it at home not in a in a screening room and I remember thinking that Andrew Garfield who I did give a Kermode award to um, uh, for social network yeah well wow well, remember, Jack. I'm, I, I remember everything about the social network. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, no, I'm just astonished that yeah. So he he got one of these.
2: So one of those should be one of in, these, in a cabinet in a cab- somewhere, yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and I remember thinking um, with Boye he is really good because that is a really hard role to play. And um, the reason it's hard is because it's to do with that strange thing about sympathy and distance with the difference between empathy and sympathy, the difference between understanding and accepting a character. And all those things have to be carried all the way through the film. And as you said yourself, this is a very sensitive subject. We're not giving away any any sort of uh, spoilers or anything about this, but it is dealing with a very, very sensitive subject. And right from the title, you know, Boy A, which, of course, if you're my age, you know, child a child b boy there are there these are associations with horrendous things that happened in the fairly recent past in the uk that even from that title you're kind of um, okay i'm we're on we're on awkward ground here and i think the thing that garfield manages to do is to keep you on that awkward ground all the way i think it's because he plays
2: such there's such an innocence and childlike nature to him because he hasn't experienced anything because he hasn't had a normal, you know, he hasn't had a normal growing up life Mm -hmm. and everything that he experiences in this film that everybody, so people are like confused by him and and don't understand why he hasn't done or why he acts certain ways. Um, There's a scene that really, I really remember uh, that's in a club where he dances and, and is free for the first time and it's like, I think he, yeah. I don't know if he's on drugs or anything. I think he might be. I think he might, I think he might take drugs for the first time. Um, and it, there's just this like very freeing Well, he's just dancing on his own. Um, and, and there's something very, I don't know, freeing about it watching him do it. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I've been meaning to rewatch it. And when I thought about, um, Underrated films. This was the first one that came to mind that I don't think enough people have seen.
1: Interestingly enough, I looked it up in terms of it was critically very well received. It was mm-hmm. taken to be great, um, uh, particularly for, for, for Garfield's performance. So it, yeah, he
2: he won a BAFTA TV award did, yeah. for his performance. Yeah,
1: so that okay. So if he won a BAFTA TV award, then it must have been. I must be right in that it was made for. Four to four television, which is why I remember seeing it on, on on TV. But you're right, I haven't seen yeah. it. I haven't seen it since it came out. I just remember, I remember being really struck by Andrew Garfield in it and thinking he is really good because this is because everything about that drama is is edgy. Everything about you never settle into it. You always. You know, so, which I think is a is a is a really terrific balancing act. Okay, that's a great. And
2: also, it's 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 directed by John Crowley, who went on or Crowley Crowley, Crowley? I think it's Crowley John Crowley, who went on to direct uh, Brooklyn.
1: Oh right, good, yeah, which film. is a which is a great so, film, yeah, so, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which is a really really great film. As
2: you know. Certain provisions regarding your release. I do.
0: There's quite a few, in fact. So we've been playing out uh, chess. Well. What best <coughs> name? Best name I want. Okay. Jack. Now well, that's the first thing taken care of.
1: Okay. So my and again i've kind of done the same thing about saving saving this till last is grace of my heart and anybody who's a regular listener will know that i just i go on about this all the time grace of my heart is the movie that kind of got overlooked because it sort of came out around the time as that thing you do and it is a film that is inspired by, but crucially not based on the Carol King story. It's about a young uh, singer-songwriter who starts um, uh, earning her living, working in the Brill Building with uh, a guy with whom she is partnered, who then becomes her, you know, her her, her husband, and then their relationship falls apart. And it goes through all these different periods of the evolution of pop music, and it kind of weaves a a strange, semi fictional narrative through the Beach Boys and through um through Girl Pop and uh and then into and as I said, if you know the, the Carol King story, you can see the places where it weaves in and out of the truth. Brian Wilson, Dennis Wilson, um you know, the Sven character, the character played by John Tatura, who specifically isn't Phil Spector. In fact at one point actually says not Phil Spector because because he kind of is, but he kind of isn't. And I have seen that film so many times, and it's got all these brilliant songs that were all written as if they were songs written from the time in the Brill Building, and then if, as if they were written, you know, when Carol King was writing Tapestry, and there are great composers, you know, Bacharach and, and Elvis Costello, and um, Louis Goffin, and I just think it's arguably it's up for me. It's up there with Slade in Flame as the great unsung pop fictional history movie and I just think it's a work of genius and it just didn't do any business at all and for ages you couldn't even get it on DVD here it's only recently that it's been it's been available please tell me that you liked it
2: I hated
1: it oh Jack no I Whoa, this hated is so it no. I'm, I'm sorry to say
2: oh god I go thought on. it was really bad. Um, like, okay, <clears throat> um, I don't want to burst bubbles, but I just, I, you know, I have, I have opinions. Okay,
1: um, you go ahead. Okay. Nothing, nothing you can say will, will, will burst this particular bubble for me. No. Yeah,
2: no, that's fine. Um, from the beginning, I was like, okay, this is all a bit on the nose. Like the mom saying, "It's you who doesn't fit." I was like, all right. Okay so this is this is the story we're getting and just to sort of track the the mom's story I really hated how it ended up I hated that at the end she became massively successful and then the mum looked at her record and the the story sort of finished on her being like okay I I'm satisfied I'm happy for her she she got what she wanted and I was like you weren't there for any of it I why do I care about what you think like that that bothered me um I thought John Chatura was excellent. I thought he was such a great presence in it. Uh, the whole thing felt like it was a little bit theatrical. Like, everything was a little bit... I don't know, like... The bit when she's like, you got the last copy of the song? And, like, it, it was all just a bit... Mm, I don't know, just a bit cheesy, and a bit on the nose. The, the Everything was a bit sort of one-dimensional and simplistic. Like, everyone just says exactly how they feel at every moment of the film um, there was a bit of a soap opera storyline <laughs> like your husband your husband is jealous of his talents and, and now you're having a baby and now he's cheating on you and I hated the way that, that was revealed like you revealed it was badly edited Like and it's Thelma Shum- Shoemaker I think is her name yeah. uh, but it was edited by three different people
1: yeah.
2: but th- that that moment when she, you find out that her husband is cheating on her is badly cut like, it, like she's about to go into her house and then it shows them in bed and then it shows our protagonist walking in and I was I like know. no no you've, yeah, you've broken hi, the perspective hi,
1: Thelma Thelma yeah I'm talking to yeah, Jack Harrell no, he, he thinks you tell her he thinks me. you edited uh, that scene really badly and he and, he, yeah, and he, he's got some tips for, from you yeah no he's a big, you're he's it. a big important director yeah no 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 no. I know no no, <laughs> no seriously no, tell, he's got some good tips her, for you I'll pass it on
2: there's a lot of continuity errors as well in uh, in Shutter Island let her know that um <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was just all clunky. And something that really, I think the, Jack, the, the point Jack, that really, really Jack. annoyed me, and genuinely, this, this is the point that I was like, mm, okay. I'm, this, is, this is rubbing me the wrong way, okay. is Matt Dillon, who is just bad in it. He's and not but His character is. Go well, okay, just, just say, what kind
1: of criticism go on. is it? He's just bad. He is. That's, that's uh, like, when you're looking at it, I his read this Shakespeare play singing, and it was boring. <laughs> I don't like Dillon, King Lear because he dies at It feels at the like end. Matt
2: Dillon doesn't know what film he's in. Oh, for... And it feels like the director hasn't told him how he's supposed to be feeling when things are happening. I also think his storyline is completely underwritten and the representation of depression is simplistic and makes no effort to actually understand him. He is just a prop who has depression. He's then sad in a room. Somebody comes in and tells him, come on, man, pick it up, and then... He commits suicide and then that's just part of the story. It's just like it is just hung there as a as a narrative beat rather than actually something that's genuinely trying to understand the pain that he was in and the frustration and the the complexity of it in a way that Solaris, which I'm currently writing a big video about and that you <laughs> completely like made me sort of like... Because I'd never heard of, like, people talk about Solaris before. No one ever brings up George Clooney and Steven Soderbergh's Solaris. And the exploration of depression and mental health in that is almost overwhelming and how much it pays attention to it. And, and in complete contrast, it felt like this film just needed him to be depressed and kill himself. Like, it didn't feel like it meant anything. Um Yeah didn't like
1: it at all uh jack okay so here's the thing i think that you have done the uh, straight to the heart of the periphery i think it's just like the whole of everything that you've just said is like i didn't see the film not not i didn't watch the film i watched it but i didn't see it now uh, i I am perfectly willing to accept that there are differences of opinions on this. You've said
2: straight to the heart of the periphery to me. Before.
1: Yeah, I know. And I think it's a, it's a talent that you have particularly. For, okay. <laughs> I am willing to accept that there are, you know, differences of opinions about, the, you know, the, the merits or otherwise of films. But let's just take this particular, um, the thing about Matt Dillon's depression isn't dealt with. Okay. okay. So Alison Anders had a conversation with Brian Wilson because obviously, you know, Brian Wilson is behind that character, as of course, you know, Dennis Wilson. And um and I you know, if you are, as I am, a Beach Boys obsessive, and you know, somebody who my great friend Matt O'Casey made a brilliant documentary about Dennis Wilson, and if you are interested in that particular, you know, what the story of Brian Wilson's creativity, um, and if you for example, did you see Love and Mercy? okay so love and mercy which is a film actually biographically about brian wilson um uh with which is played over, over over two periods and is is paul dano is the young brian wilson and uncannily like brian wilson and um and then uh john cusack is the older brian wilson and i'm i'm a real beach boys fan and i i love the wilson brothers story and anyway so Alison Anders talked to Brian Wilson about this and said what do you think and he said well you got some things right and you got some things wrong but it all felt true and I thought that that was just the most brilliant um brilliant story she came on the the show I was trying to get her to come on the MK3D show for ages and she came on they were showing gas food lodging at the NFT and we talked about the fact that um the theremin player that she has on when he's doing the concept album thing actually turned out to be somebody who played on good vibrations. And I think that the this from the soundtrack point of view, I think the way the songs are constructed that they are those um you know uh Jerry Goffin and Carol King compositions are, are are brilliantly evoked but but never pastiched. I think your the whole thing about the mother I'm I'm literally having to recall to myself, and I've seen this film a lot of times, Mm -hmm. how significant or insignificant that is. I think that if I'm being kind, and I'm going to be kind, Jack, because I like you. Okay. (laughs) I think that it is possible that that film requires an investment in the period and the story and the stories around which it circles for it to fully work. But I have seen that film so many times, and I have never, never felt that it, it missed any of the beats in the way that, that you think it does. In fact, I think one of the things I love about it is that it feels like a tapestry, no pun intended, hmm. of so many stories, so beautifully interwoven... That the the only surprise to me is that it came and went in a heartbeat, and nobody paid any attention at all. And then that thing you do, which I really like, I think it's a great film about one-hit wonders, much more captured people's attention because it was a simpler and easier, easier to understand story. And I, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to hear you to hear you dislike it that much. I I didn't.
2: I don't think it is a complex
1: story. Is,
2: I think it is, it I don't is, think it, it, I don't is, think there is. I think it's
1: soap operay. I think that no. Okay, that that you're going to have to take back. You're going to have to take back soap mm. opera. I'll give you a. You, but you, mm. it's like it, it's it's like somebody going seeing Raging Bull and going, yeah, but it's not as good as Rocky. You know, it's like <laughs> but you know, I, like, 2001, thing, that I mean, it's all right, but I mean,
2: it's not as good as Star Wars.
1: <laughs> well, but, <laughs> um, look. Look, it, oh um, jack i'm so, i'm I, i'm heartbroken i'm just i'm heartbroken i actually i, I, I i'm partly because i thought that that would be the ace in the hole i thought you'd just i thought you'd love it and i thought i'd have another friend to to talk to about it i mean I, you well know. maybe you should just start to realize that maybe that's why no
2: one wants to talk about it is because <laughs> it's not great and um yeah i i, I just think from the Everything about it felt like okay. Stop. 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 Stop.
1: Stop. 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 Okay. Go on. No, because I know. Okay, so you've completely shit canned the film that I really, really love, and that's fine. And you and I and, and I have allowed you to and do. I, and, I, and I feel bad about. No, that. no, it's fine. It's it's fine. It's fine. You know, I'll get over it. <laughs> and they was so, and I'm going yeah Mark of Zorro Mask of Zorro yeah it's fine you know yeah you chose a TV movie for you... number what's fine it's fine and I'm there and I'm like playing Mr. Benign and then you just like you come and you stab I've me chosen in the good, back I've chosen you just stab me in the back
2: I uh, yeah like I, this this felt like it was supposed to be a biopic but wasn't it felt like the story was written Like very and then and then and then and then and I was like, (laughs) is this a true story? Because it feels like it's being constructed, like it's going. Oh, we need to tell it in this order because this is how it happened. But but that's the point. It's inspired by real events.
1: It is. It's inspired by the story of Carol King, but it's not based on the story of Carol King. It's you know, it is. It's it's a poetic reconstruction of a period. I mean, it's the story of the Brill Building as told through a character whose story intertwines with that of Carol King and that of the Wilsons and that of. uh spectre and that of the changing nature of the music industry and uh and you know and i can't help it if you're a tone-deaf teenager it's you know there's nothing <laughs> i can do about oh, it oh we're going Jack. to name
2: calling now <laughs> <laughs> i just think if it, if it isn't inspired by an actual it uh, is inspired, inspired by, by it, it, it is yes but it feels like it's tying itself to the way that Bohemian Rhapsody, which, you know... Don't you dare. Split Don't
1: opinion. you dare. Don't you dare compare Grace of My Heart to Bohemian like, Rhapsody. No.
2: Look, look, Grace of <laughs> My Heart feels like it was like tying itself, chaining itself to, we have to tell it in this order because this is how it happened in real life. When all the characters are fictional and you could have done what you wanted with them. And if you want to tell... A story about Carol King. Do a fucking biopic about Carol King. Like, like it. This feels like it was like tying itself to a narrative it didn't need to. It felt like it was making the narrative more simpler mm. and, and weirder and worse. You and, know, and, and, but, and but then no, but the thing
1: is right. For the, but you've got a point. I mean, the thing is, you know, Hamlet. Right? He just complains the whole time. And what they should have, <laughs> he should have just somebody should have just Hamlet. Snap the fuck out of it. You're young and fit and quite rich. So just knock it on the head. Anyway, Nick has reappeared on the video screen with a glum look on his face, which means, guys, you have to wrap this up because this has been going on for quite some time. So, <laughs> but Jack, okay, so in, in the in the interest of... Here's what I'm going to say. If anybody hasn't okay, seen well. Grace of My Heart, please go and see it and then let us know whether you are Team Jack or Team Mark. Um... And also, and <laughs> this is like Twilight all over yeah, again. exactly. And uh, we'll do we'll do the Twilight movies next. And also, let uh, oh me just say that contrary to popular opinion, it is perfectly possible to uh, to share completely conflicting opinions. And I have enjoyed I have enjoyed uh, battling with you over this.
0: It sounds really good, but you know the key to the song really is the build, and you can be dramatic as long as it's truthful. Okay. Guys, I know there's a lot of chefs in the kitchen here. Let's just try and get a great take and groove. All right, let's start. Roll tape.
1: Well, there we go. That was Jack Howard and me discussing our top two underrated films. If you want numbers five to three, then just go back and listen to last week's podcast. It's available to download now, as indeed is the entire back catalogue of Kermode on film podcasts. If you're interested in going a little deeper, then why not visit our Patreon page, which is full of exclusive extras and special video content. We're also starting to put up online an entire archive of all the Mark Kermode live in 3D shows that are recorded at the bfi south bank and if you're interested in those shows obviously we can't do them live at the south bank at the moment but they are continuing online we did a great mk3d show live online on tuesday it's available to watch now on the bfi channel on youtube thanks for watching stay safe stay home protect the nhs and save lives and keep watching the skies